of doing things for the applause of others so that we look good. This morning, God, we come before you with our hearts laid bare. We ask that you would search our motivations. And that, God, when you strip away all of the brokenness of our sin, that underneath all of that, you would still find a heart that desires you. Because we do. And you're so patient with our sin. And you're so patient with this journey that we're on to look like you. But God, this morning, we desire you. And we desire to proclaim who you are. We desire to know you more. And so, God, may that desire of our heart, more than any of the songs we've sung, would that reach your ears with the sweet-smelling incense of the praises of your people and the prayers of your people be pleasant to you. Because we really do desire you. In your precious name, God. Amen. Amen. Well, as you have a seat, we're going to call our ushers forward. And we believe that we have been called to be a family in all things. And families pool resources to take care of one another. And so that's part of that. We're going to take the tithes and offerings up. But family also comes alongside one another. And we have one of our families going through a hard time right now. We have Rhoda and Kristen, you, Sunny and Celia and William, who've just lost their grandmother. And as family, we grieve with you. And so please make sure that you touch base with these guys after and give them a hug. And would you be praying for their family this week and longer? Um, and let's do that together now. So God, I thank you that you are a God who takes care of all of our needs in all ways. And right now, we just pray for this family who is new to ours. But actually, we've been family for a long time. We just didn't know them in person yet. So, God, would you comfort them? Would you be with them? And as they grieve, God, would they find strength in you and peace in you? For you are all things good. And together, God, as a family, as we meet the needs of each other, of just this church, of this city and beyond. God, would you take our little and multiply it that we could do so much more than we could ever dream because you are a God of exceedingly above and beyond. And we have above and beyond dreams for Powell River. So I thank you that you are able in your precious name. Amen. Well, our kids, we love you guys. You are like basically all Okay, so there's a few, but there's like 
this mound of children over here, and you guys need to know how much we love you. And we're so glad that you guys are here, because if you weren't here, kids, we would might as well just like shut the church down. You are that important. If you stopped coming, I would stop coming. He's just giving you the thing. You need to keep coming so that these guys can have Pastor Lucas and I here preaching. Deal? Deal. Okay, some of them are like, yeah, I'll come. Thank you, Aislinn. I really appreciate you letting the adults still hear the Bible. Okay, we're going to let you guys go. We love you so much. Take off. They have so much fun things this summer going on. I feel like we should take some notes from our kids' ministry and offer incentives if you dress up in fun, wacky ways. What do you think? Everybody up for it? Next week is Polka Dot Sunday. And you'll get bubbles. Deal? There are a lot of them, so we're just going to let them go for a second because it's a little loud. <clears throat> well, have you ever, parents, been walking down the hallway and you overhear your kids playing? Maybe it's pretend or it's with dolls or cars and you just sit there and you just listen. And it's just so sweet and so you just stand there with a smile on your face until that moment, you know the one, where they say something and you go, oh no, I say that. That was so me. And you kind of want to hang your head in shame and walk away. Anybody been there? Just me. Just me. It's okay. Well, nothing reveals us to ourselves quite like listening to our kids, right? Watching these little miniature clones of us walk around interacting with the world is often a wake-up call to our own hearts. And this morning, we're going to look into what we believe about humanity. Remember, this, this summer, we're going through a series called This Is Us. What do we as a church believe? And the question that we're really going to wrestle with if we boil this down is good or bad? What do we believe? Good or bad? So let's pray. God, I thank you that you are the revealer of truth. And so this morning, as we look in your word and as we tackle what you say about humanity as a whole, God, would you find us as good soil? And would your word penetrate and take root? Because above all things, God, we want to lean your way. And we want to train our mind to believe how you have said we should believe. And we want to act how you've told us to act so that we can truly look more and more like you in all things. So help us this morning to find that in your precious name. Amen. So before we tackle good or bad, here's the actual statement of what we believe as a church about humanity. Humans were originally created in the image and likeness of God. They fell through sin and, as a consequence, incurred both spiritual and physical death. 
spiritual death and the depravity of human nature have been transmitted to the entire race, human race with the exception of the man, Christ Jesus. Humans can be saved only through the atoning work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, good or bad? What do we believe about people in general? And it's a little bit of a trick question because it's multifaceted, but let's go from the beginning and we'll work the way through. So at the beginning, we were really, really good. Yay! There's going to be a lot less of good, so be prepared for this. We were really, really good. We know this because we were originally created in the image and the likeness of God. And we find that right at the beginning in our creation narrative in Genesis 1, which you'd think would be closer to the front of your Bible. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And he declared us as good. At the beginning of time, we were good. We were created in God's own image. In fact, that word image is the same that would be kind of used of a sculptor creating a statue of himself. We are God's image. We are his likeness. And that can only be good. In Greek, the word likeness is also defined as to become like. And God's goal for humanity right there in the beginning was that in spending time with him, we would become more and more like him. Because that garden was God's best for us. We were designed for it. We were designed to have purpose, to be caretakers over creation. We were designed to have relationship with one another. We were designed to have relationship with God. These things we still inherently need because we were designed for it. In our creation, we were good. But the were is purposeful because we didn't stay there. We didn't stay in that garden. They fell through sin. And if we keep reading through Genesis, we see that in a moment, good came to a halt. When Eve and then Adam chose to believe the deceit of their enemy over the words of God. They chose to believe a lie about God and disobey. And in doing so, decided that they knew better than the one who had created them. And in that moment, sin and brokenness entered into humanity. And in a split second, the depravity of human nature was transmitted to the entire human race. And this is the war we find ourselves in now. Good or bad. Surrounded by the lovely and surrounded by the pure, we were pure. But we chose knowledge over trust. And when the knowledge of good and evil came, we opened ourselves up to a big can of worms because we aren't robots, and we never were. We were created to be able to choose God, 
And in the beginning, we didn't choose him. We chose us. And so sin and depravity entered the human race, and that which was deemed good is no longer the same. It is corrupted and distorted and marred. And have you found yourself in this tension? Are you feeling it right now? This tension of are people inherently good or are people inherently bad? And it's kind of been presented to us just as a choice. Like, are you a glass half full or a glass half empty kind of person? Or maybe a character quality. I'm the kind of person that just sees the good in others. But the problem with all of that is that we're operating from this idea that people are inherently good. And it's flawed because we're not. We actually are not inherently good at our core. We're rotten and sinful and depraved at our core. Here's what Jeremiah 17.9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That feels good, right? Thanks. Let's go home. At my center... I am deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who humanity was designed to be has been so corrupted that we are beyond cure. The best of the best just will never be good enough because our good has been flawed. Our good has been corrupted. Even our good is actually bad. And it's not just about our actions. Our heart, the very core of who we are, is deceitful above things, which means my motivations are deceitful above things. My hopes, deceitful above things. My reasoning, deceitful above things. My interests, deceitful above all things. The best of my best will never be good enough because I'm not good. I am flawed and corrupted. And that has real consequences. And I want to pause here because this is really hard to write. Because I was realizing how ingrained in us this idea of people being good is. People really want to be good. Most people have a good heart. Think of all the ways that we have wrapped words around this idea. And it's probably one of the deepest and scariest lies out there. Because we have an enemy who's the father of lies. Because this lie of people are good keeps us locked in our sin. Because if I am good, I don't need to be saved. If I am inherently good at my core, I just need the bad things that influence me to stop, and then I'll be good enough. I won't need Jesus. So it's a really, really dangerous ideology. 
in Ecclesiastes 7, verse 20, it says, Indeed, there is no one on earth who is righteous. No one who does what is right and never sins. See, if we were inherently good, then the law would have been enough. If you give good people good rules to follow, then we should be okay. But the law wasn't enough. The law still isn't enough, is it? Right? Think about it in real world analogies. Why do we have checks and balances if people are inherently good? We wouldn't need them. Why do we see so many good movements end up corrupted if people are inherently good? Because we're not. The truth is we can't even trust ourselves. Because we're not good. And if we miss this Peace, then nothing else can make sense until I grasp the fact that the best of my best will never be good enough, can never be good enough, then I won't look for Jesus. I won't look for a Savior. I won't look for a way out of this mess that I'm in. And I'll be deceived into this idea that Jesus is just an optional add-on to a good life. That he just enhances the goodness in me. Instead of him being the only way. And maybe the flip side of that is true. I'm speaking as a good girl. I've always been a good girl. I would give myself my own consequences. I would just go and repent to my parents and tell them how I was disciplining myself and do it. And so we are praying hard that our children take after me. But maybe you're from the other side of the coin. You're like, you know what, Lisa, I have always wanted to meet Jesus, but I'm not good enough. You know what, you're actually at a better place than I am. Because that's the point. The point is that you're not. And the point is that I'm not good enough. The point is that none of us are good enough. None of us, because the best of my best can never be good enough. And so if the best of my best can't be good enough, then the worst of my worst, I'm doomed. The worst of my worst then is despicable. The worst of my worst demands consequence. They fell through sin and as a consequence incurred both spiritual and physical death. Spiritual death and the, the depravity of human nature had been transmitted to the entire human race. And if we bought into this lie that we are inherently good, then the idea of having death as a consequence to just being born is really harsh. You haven't even done anything yet. And that's why it's such a dangerous idea, because if we believe that we're good, then we're going to just try to simply out-good God. 
Like if I'm just kind and considerate and selfless and I do enough acts of kindness and I put that all over here and that outweighs all of the times that I forget to be good or I get swayed into being bad and if this is just more than this, then we're okay. And then surely I must deserve heaven. Then surely I must be okay with God. But it doesn't work that way. I can't outgood the consequence of who I am. Because the issue isn't what I do. The issue is me. Just me. The best of my best will never be good enough because the depravity of human nature is me. It's who I am. I hate to tell you, it's who you are too. And the cost of who we are is death. It's physical death. We're not going to live forever. This is great news. But it's also a spiritual death. The consequence of who I am is that I don't deserve heaven. And heaven and hell are very real. The consequence of who I am is that I don't deserve to be with God forever. The consequence of my sin is separation because the best of my best will never be good enough to earn that. But there's hope. And not on my own because the best of my best will never be good enough. There's hope because of Jesus. See, the best of my best will never be good enough, but Jesus is. And God is inherently good. And he offered us the absolute best of everything. And we rejected it like fools. But instead of wiping his hands clean of us, saying, well, I gave you the choice. No, God started planning, and he started to whisper into the hearts of men how he was going to come so that we would recognize him when he did. And he came to earth to make a way for us to have another chance. Think about that for a moment. Think of all the work that God did just to give us a second chance. He knew exactly what we needed, and he knew exactly how to save humanity. And the best thing is that he did it. In Hebrews 7, 26, it says, Such a high priest truly meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. We needed one who was good enough, because no human being ever would be. And so Jesus came, and he died, and he repaired this separation between a good God and a depraved humanity. He bridged that gap, and 1 Timothy 2, 5 to 6 tells us this. For there is one God and one mediator between God and human beings, Christ Jesus, himself human, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. 
the best of my best will never be good enough, but Jesus is. And he came to be our ransom, to take the consequences of our sin on himself, and he did. And next week, Pastor Lucas is going to be digging into this deeper. But because of Jesus, when God looks at us, he sees us as we were created to be. When Jesus comes and he wraps his good around our depravity, and God looks at us, he sees us as good. And that's why it's grace. Because I can't do a thing to outgood my depravity. I can't do a thing to be good enough. But I didn't have to because Jesus could and he did. And now not only does Jesus surround me in that view of God, but he restores me to my original purpose. He restores me to the likeness of God, to the become like. I still can't outgood God. I still can't do any of it in my own strength. But when we accept the good enough of Jesus over our depravity, when we allow him to wrap us in his good enough, then the fruit of the Spirit begins to grow in our lives. Love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, and gentleness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. I want to pause here. Because we are really, really good at creating counterfeits of this. And we're really good at just being happy and calling it joy. And our culture would tell us that tolerance is the same as peace. And that if we just muster enough self-discipline, it's the same as self-control. And they're not. And there's a huge danger here that we just try to produce good fruit instead of the fruit of the Spirit. Because really what we're just doing is we're just saying, thank you, Jesus, and then we're going back to where I'm going to outgood God. Now I'm saved, but I'm just going to tuck that into my pocket, and I'm just going to continue to do this thing on my own. But the problem is that if we are depraved and deceived at our core then the fruit that we produce on our own is not going to be good fruit. The fruit that we produce on our own is going to be rotten, spoiled fruit. That's why it's not called the fruit of Lisa. It's the fruit of the Spirit, meaning if I grow it, we're hooped. But if God grows it, we're okay. If I try and grow it, all we're going to be left with is this cycle of exhaustion and striving and guilt and shame. Instead of this beautiful become like that Jesus offers us. He says, come to me. Spend time with me like I created you to. 
And just in doing that, watch. Watch the become like. Watch the fruit grow. My fruit on your tree. My healthy fruit for your soil, Lord. So good or bad? Well, kind of a both and. On our own, we are bad. We are inherently bad. Because the best of my best will never be good enough. But Jesus is. And he's offered me his goodness. And he's offered me to come, or to come and cover me with his own enough. This morning, maybe this is the first time you've ever come to grips with the fact that you are not enough. And if that's true, then I want you to know that the creator of the universe gave up heaven to become man to chase you. And God loves you so much. And Jesus is ready to wrap his good around your life if you're ready to let him. And in a second, I'm going to ask you if you're ready to do that. I want to give you some time to come to grips with that if this is the first time that you're ever hearing this. And so let me dig a little bit deeper into what we believe about this thing that we would call salvation. See, we believe that Jesus Christ is God, fully God and fully man, and he was and still is the only one who could come and defeat the sin and death that we chose way back at the beginning of humanity. We believe that Jesus came to earth willingly and intentionally to pay our consequence on that cross and that he really did die. We also believe that he didn't actually stay dead. He's not hidden somewhere and the world just hasn't found him yet. No, he rose from the dead so that he could defeat sin and death forever. And that he asks us simply to reach out for his forgiveness. It's that easy and that hard because we're used to a world that asks us to do something in return. That's why it's called grace because we can't outgood God there's nothing in our depravity that he wants. He just wants to restore us to our original purpose, to have relationship with him. And so when we come to the realization that we will never be good enough, when we come to the realization that he is, and we come to the realization that he's the only one who can bridge the separation between those things, then we're ready. So this morning, I just ask everyone to close their eyes. And all we're doing is creating a safe place here. That's it. And this morning, if you say, you know what? I'm aware that I'm not good enough. But I really want Jesus to wrap his goodness around me. I just ask you to do something courageous and just look at me or wave at me. 
just be a bravery? Words that all pray together. Dear Jesus, I know I'm not good enough, but I believe that you are. I believe that you died on the cross and rose again to pay my consequence. And I accept the trade of your goodness for my depravity. And would you help me in the become life your precious name. Amen. For those of you that, that made eye contact with me, in front of you, there's a green card that says, I have decided, and it will give you some next steps. But could you also please and come and chat with myself or with Lucas afterwards, and we would just want to walk through the next steps with you, connecting you with Christian community of making sure that you know, have a Bible, know how to grow in Jesus. And welcome to the family. We're very excited um, to watch God move in your life. And if you know Jesus, you've been redeemed and restored to what you were designed for. How's your become light going? How's your fruit growing? And it's not a guilt-filled question. It's an accountability one. Because we love you. So don't do it on your own strength. Don't willingly enter the cycle of guilt and striving and exhaustion. It's not what Jesus freed you for. He freed you for relationship with him and the growth comes. He freed you for relationship with others and the growth comes. But we have to make him a priority so that the growth comes. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And if you're just saying, you know what? Lisa, my become like is kind of stagnant. And the fruit that's growing, I'm not sure right now. If it's fruit of my own or if it's fruit of the spirit. We're just going to enter a time of worship. And I would invite you to altar. An altar is just a place where you separate yourself from the people around you so you can talk to Jesus. That's it. And that could mean in your chair, or that could mean right here. But if the become light and the fruit aren't happening, I want to invite you back to Jesus. Back to the one who wraps his goodness around us. 
I want to invite you to have an honest conversation with him. Because he already knows. And he loves you anyway. So God, you see where all of us are at. None of that's hidden from you. Just like I don't stop loving my kids when they mess up, you don't stop loving us. No, your love is constant. In fact, it's the only constant thing that we could ever know. And so, with all of the gentleness that you do and you're so good at, Would you welcome us back to the become life? Welcome us back to the place where fruit will grow. Welcome us back to relationship with you. Because you are so good at course correction. You are so good at showing us the way and the path. And we need to walk. Now would you just give us the self-control to be obedient. The self-control that only comes from you, not from our own striving and strength. So that we would be people that could show the world truly that Jesus changes everything. Because you do. You do. You are so good to us. Let's stand together as we sing this song.